Our scripture this week is from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 4 through 10. One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died from lack of moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he had said this, he called out, Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples asked him what his, this parable meant. He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Judy. All right. Well, buckle up. So there are three things I want you to know up front. Uh, number one, public speaking terrifies me. Uh, if I have a guitar and can sing the words, I'm great. Uh, standing up here, uh, if you've ever seen Talladega Nights, where Ricky Bobby doesn't know what to do with his hands, it's going to be me all morning. Um, hey, appreciate it, appreciate it. Um, but wanted to, to share a little bit of context with you um, and, and something that for several years uh, God has placed on my heart. And uh, so the opportunity to do that today is, uh, is both an honor and a pleasure for me. So thank you for, um, for listening. Thank you for extending grace. Uh, and the last thing is I tend to talk really fast when I'm nervous. Uh, and I'm really nervous. So if I start going too fast, just raise your hand and be like, hey, slow it down. Um, but good news is we may get out of here at like 1140. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Judy, for reading the scripture. Uh, we'll dive into that a little bit more. But first, you know, Jason and I um, have been here come four months, I think is the time frame. It's been an absolute honor uh, to be with you in worship, to see what God is doing in you, uh, in my brother Jason. It's, uh, um, man, to, to sit here and tell you the story of the Nick's family and what brought us to this point. Um, we don't have enough time today, but over the years ahead, I'm sure we'll get to share that with you. But I wanted to give you a little bit of a glimpse into um, what it was like growing up in the Nick's household. So uh, I'm one of five children. My mom and dad were a traveling gospel band. Back in the day, we have a vinyl, Reflections of the Sun, S-O-N, play on words. Um, and of the five children, they decided early on that uh, we were going to be homeschooled which explains a lot about us. Um, we're just a little bit odd. Um, we've, we've come a long way in our social interactions. Um, but we, we grew up uh, just outside of Houston, a little town called Huffman, Texas. Uh, you've probably never heard of it. You've probably never driven through it. Um, I would advise that you don't, because it means you have to go through like Humble, Kingwood, Woodlands, and that's just a nightmare. Um, but growing up, we had a little bit of land around us. And part of being homeschooled and my dad being a pastor of a small church, 
Um, we tried to uh, make things stretch as long as we could, which meant that for the majority of my life, starting when I was probably five or six, uh, we planted a garden next to our house. And um, so as, you know, five, six, seven, uh, all the way up to my sister, I believe at the time was probably 13, um, we, we had a garden. And our responsibility as a Bob Nix child was to tend for a few rows in the garden. And so, you know, there was five of us. We had ten rows, uh, all sorts of things, green beans and zucchini and tomatoes and anything you could grow, um, we, we would do that. And uh, part of, of taking care of the garden was every morning we would go out and uh, we would, um, you know, pull weeds and make sure it was watered correctly, uh, you know, per that vegetable or fruit or whatever we were growing. And then when the time came, we would go and pick and make sure we harvested as we needed to. And then for the next couple of days and weeks, that's what we would eat. Um, so that was primarily um, how we grew up. And so early on, I kind of got my hands dirty. So uh, whenever we read the, the parable of the, of the soil, I'm not going to read it all the way through again, but we've heard it before, right? Uh, we've heard it about how we minister to others, how we may plant a seed of, of something that God has placed in us, and hopefully it lands on a heart that is willing to receive but I want to flip the context a little bit and talk about um, the soil, the condition of our own heart. Um, because I think as we read through that, you know, seed is scattered. There's some that was trampled on. Uh, there was some that fell among thorns. Uh, all of the, the different types of soil and, and, um, and, and uh, climates that tend to happen within this parable. Um, and so I want to, again, set that up as the context of how we're going to look uh, these next 15 to 20 minutes together. Uh, so outside of, of being uh, homeschooled and tending for rows in a garden and making sure that, uh, you know, we had food to eat, which was a good thing, uh, we're, I'm the shortest of the Knicks boys. Uh, I'm the runt, and so there was a lot of groceries consumed. And so it, it behooved us to have things to eat out of the garden. Um, the other thing that... Um, that ties into this is uh, my dad, who's the most wise man I know, um, he would always ask us uh, questions or say certain things to us uh, throughout the day, throughout the weeks. And as a 9, 10, 11-year-old kid, I never really knew what they meant. Every time I would go leave the house to go to a friend's house, he would say, remember whose son you are. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, I'm your kid. Easy. But he was asking or telling me, directing me was, you know how we've raised you. You know what we expect of you. Live up to those things. But the, the question that he used to ask all the time, um, and I'm sure he'll watch this, so Dad, I'm sorry that I didn't get it uh, until recently, more recently, um, is he would say, how's your heart? How's your heart? And um, my response as a, as a preteen, teenager, and even young adult tended to be, the response that I give when people say, how's it going? How are you, how's life? That's ah, good. One word answer, and I hope that there would be no follow-up questions to that. Uh, and so the how's your heart question um, was posed by, by my dad to all of his kids uh, very routinely. And, and it wasn't until much later than I'm happy to admit that it kind of clicked what he was really asking. And I found this as a, uh, a way to define when someone says, how's your heart? Here's what they're saying. 
The human heart is the primary motivator for the motives and behaviors that we witness in others and more importantly carry out in ourselves. The heart is not the literal fleshy muscle pumping blood and life through our bodies, but the symbolic representation of our entire inner being. So there's a lot wrapped up when we consider what is going on in our heart, right? It is both our mind, our will, our emotions, our spiritual, our physical. It's all of those things tied together. And so when he was asking, how's your heart? He wasn't saying, how are you feeling? He was asking me, it was a call to um, authenticity, to be open with them and say, you know, things, my, right now in my heart, things are not good. Or right now, everything is great. I am filled with the joy of the Lord. I am pursuing the things I need to pursue. Um, but I didn't understand that question. Uh, and as you look back in the, the Wesley tradition, it's very similar to early Wesley meetings where they would uh, gather together and simply ask the question, how is it with your soul? And I think that's a question we probably don't ask enough today. Um, we're really good at the pleasantries at the surface level, um, but when we ask, how's your heart, um, we, we honestly probably don't dive into that enough uh, internally with ourselves and with others around us. So I'm going to put a picture up on the, on the yard. There we go. So about, I think it's six years ago, my wife and I purchased a house in Mansfield, Texas. Uh, we lived, we had a house, we sold it, had plumbing issues galore, got out of that nightmare, finally found the house that we, we felt that we needed to be in, wanted to be in for the time, uh, for the future with our boys. Big backyard, this is a section of the backyard, and this is pulled from uh, Zillow, which still has pictures of my house from when I bought it, which is kind of weird, because um, it's not for sale. Um, but this is what the backyard looked like. And um, I, I, I like being out in the yard doing work. And so when I bought the house, I was kind of excited. Um, you know, there was uh, opportunity for things to grow. Anything that you see that's green, it isn't grass. Um, it's, a, it's a combination of a lot of weeds and things you don't want growing in your yard. But it was green, which is a kind of a plus. Um, and we, we have a, a pretty large backyard for being in the middle of town. Uh, and again, if you were to, to scale more left, it would be more dirt than weeds. Um, and, and again, through the past six years, I've thought about, again, how is my heart and how it correlates to the condition of the soil uh, and the, uh, the environment in which I put it. And so this here on the screen, it tends to look... Uh, a lot like the condition of my own heart when I operate within my own default patterns. Um, I am um, I'm a human being, uh, and I have my faults and hang-ups, and when I don't actively pursue things that create and cause change, then uh, my default pattern tends to look a lot like this. Uh, it's not completely bare, but there's dead spots, weeds, and if not constantly kept in check, it becomes an ugly mess, right? You've, you've all experienced it. You have a yard with weeds and you mow and it looks great for about 36 hours. Uh, and then all of the weeds grow at about four times the pace of things that you actually want. And so, um, you know, so what's the, the connection between the condition of my heart and my life of faith? Uh, so if we look back at the scripture in Luke that we read earlier, uh, Jesus taught in parables quite a bit. Um, it's one of the, the things that he used to teach and talked a lot 
about the condition of our heart. Uh, we also see the story of creation, which is set in a garden. Uh, throughout Scripture, there are parallels drawn between a life of faith and following Jesus and how they resemble growth and roots and bearing fruit. So this is a theme that exists within Scripture for us to look at. So uh, we might as well dive in and take a little deeper look. Um, we understand that we can connect to this imagery because we see it, we're experiencing it day in and day out. We live in a world in which things are growing. We have things, we eat fruits and vegetables, so it's easy for us to connect with. I'm going to start with Proverbs 4.23. Solomon says that, uh, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Um, in the Old Testament, we see that even before Jesus came and taught in parables, the idea of the condition of our heart was something vital. And not that it's something we need to keep an eye on and we need to work to make sure is, is okay or is good or is surface level looking okay to other people. But it's to guard our heart because everything that we do flows from the condition of what's in our heart. The verses leading up to this, if you were to read the whole chapter, uh, they, they give us a blueprint uh, for principles. Um, they help us provide some framework for caring for the condition of our heart. And I'll, I'll summarize the, uh, the 22 verses previous. Uh, the first several verses are about practicing good judgment. Um, from that, it's gaining wisdom. And that comes from experience, knowledge, openness with others. Uh, and then the, the last is holding to truth. And so early on, if we want to know how do we um, take care of our heart, it's, it's those things, practicing good judgment, gaining wisdom, and holding to truth. Which in this day and age, for me, again, speaking personally, um, becomes difficult to do. It's easy to do in a space like this, where I'm gathered with like-minded individuals who are focused on pursuing a deeper life with Jesus, who has called us from the grace given to us, extended to us, to invite others into that. So that, that call is pretty easy in this context. When I leave and go home, and I've got a 12-year-old and an 8-year-old extending grace and uh, forgiveness and wanting them to practice good judgment, um, it, it doesn't exist. It's a little harder there. And then if I go into my, my work front, uh, where I, I love what I get to do for a living, um, but it's hard. It's hard to do those things in that context. So, the question that my dad posed to me and my siblings that I'm going to pose to you just to take a second to think, what is the condition of your heart today? If you were to sit back, step back, uh, and, and take um, a moment to jot down beyond surface level, how is it with your heart? What is the condition of your heart? What would that response be for you? What are the, the weeds that have taken root in your heart and life? Is it bitterness, anger, anxiety, fear, worry, guilt, shame? We could name a hundred other things. And for, for me, when I step back and think about that question of how's my heart, um, for me, the, the weeds in my life, the things that take over um, the soil in my heart um, tend to look like laziness and pride and isolation. Um, I, my default 
are those things, is to be apathetic. And I can't change everything, so why change anything? It's to, uh, to isolate, that if, if I'm open and honest with others, it means that I'm giving them a chance to, to see into the mess of my life and my heart and, and live vulnerably, which is really tough to do. When I operate within my natural default, my view towards others, and how I engage with the world around me, it, it allows seeds of self to take root and grow in my heart. So, to unpack that a little bit more, um, got just a few ideas that I jotted down. Again, these are primarily inwardly focused for me. I hope that they strike a chord with you um, or that you're able to connect with it and go, yep, I see that in myself. Uh, I see that in the world around me. So the first, the first point is, as a people of faith, we tend to spend our time, energy, and focus managing the appearance of the issue instead of addressing the cause. As a people of faith, we tend to spend our time, energy, and focus worrying about the appearance of the problem rather than addressing the problem itself. Again, we show up and we say, I'm fine, I'm blessed, I'm fill in the blank for what that looks like for you. And honestly, what happens is we try to convince others so that maybe we can convince ourselves and instead of living from a place of authenticity, we present something that looks okay from far away as long as no one gets too close. And as a result, we live in crowded isolation. In today's um, society, in all of our focus, uh, the quick fix culture, we worry about, um, and again, this is for me more than, than speaking uh, to you, it's just speaking about my own personal experience. I'm really good. If you were to follow me on Instagram or Facebook, you're going to see lots of pictures of my kids smiling. And when my yard looks really good, I'll take that picture. And uh, the food that I cook that I think looks pretty good, um, those are the things that we tend to put out there, right? Because uh, I'm trying to manage an appearance of how others see me rather than actually sharing what's going on in my life. And the problem is we are very connected today, more connected than we've ever been, but we're also more lonely and isolated than we've ever been. And so the call for us as followers of Christ, caring for the condition of our heart, is to authenticity and honesty with ourselves and with those that we trust to hold us accountable. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to open and bear all for everyone. I think that's a bad idea, honestly. But there has to be a select few people that you can open up with, share how it is with your heart, what's going on in your life beyond just the, the, the mundane and the surface level, and, and call for them to encourage, to, to come alongside you in your journey, but also to call you to the mat a little bit when they see that things are out of alignment. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, it says, Two people are better off than one. if They can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out to help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Again, we have to get out of this pattern of living in isolation and only worrying about the surface. Things that look good from afar, um, 
You know, we, we tend to, to look at that and say, they've got their life together. Um, but my bet is that their people uh, that we interact with, engage with all day long, are just as much of a mess and isolated as we are. The second point, the second thing that, that stuck out to me is, for me, and I just put the proverbial we in front of it, is we substitute the work we need to do for a quick fix that yields short-term results. I'm really good at this. Um, get him a step from behind the podium so you can, you can just take it all in. I'm a big guy. And over the last three years, I have tried probably five or six of the, the fad-type diets and weight loss things because I'm like, you know, I just want to lose just like 100 pounds. That's it. Uh, just a quick hundo, and I'll be happy. Um, and so instead of actually, you know, it took, uh, I'm 36 years old. It took 36 years of bad patterns to get where I'm at, and I want to fix it in a month. Uh, and that's not how life works. That's not how health works. That's not how our spiritual walk works, right? It is the steady, um, dedicated, motivated steps towards a goal that we're not going to take it in big chunks, right? Um, so, again, if, if you boil down, you know, when we substitute the work we need to do for a quick fix, um, it's easier to address the symptom than the sickness. We address the symptom, not the sickness. And, and that's deep-rooted into going back to the garden, the heart of man, right? We, the original sin that uh, in our heart we decided, um, I know better than the one who created me. There is a, again, we can call it whatever we want, but it is a sickness, a condition of the heart that we must work against and fight against every day for the rest of our lives as we push into the person of Jesus and the grace that he's extended to us that gives us a chance to overcome who we are at our default. That's why we see, we see things like uh, self-help books. It's focused on the eye. Substance abuse, self-seeking relationships, ignoring and avoiding in whatever form that takes because we're trying to fix the symptom and not the cause. The condition of our heart is wholly dependent on God's grace and how we respond to that grace. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8 says this, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge Knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the condition of our heart and what does it take for us to address and take it head on and impact and ensure that the condition of our heart is, is ripe for growth of the things that we want. 
the, the scripture there, if you were to boil it down, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8, there's, there's a couple of layers to it. The first one it talks about is relationship with God is the primary focus for our life. So if you want to impact and change the condition of your heart so that God can do work and plant seed that will grow in you, that will bear fruit and be a witness to others, relationship with God has to be the primary focus. It means we have to live in Scripture. We have to know what Jesus said, what he taught, what it looked like to walk out this thing, this life of faith to the world that is uh, desperately broken and in need. Secondly, it calls us to respond. We can't just live in isolation. I can't just focus on just me and God. It has to go beyond that. We must respond to that. How are we changed by the grace given to us? Do we extend it to others? And this one, um, I added it late last night as I was reviewing. And again, a question for myself as I was reading through this. Do I let the grace of God create friction that intersects with my humanity? There is, and there should be, in my, my perspective, my experience, a call to follow Jesus should create a little bit of friction with our humanity and how we're wired. If it didn't, then it would just be all feel good and do your own thing, and uh, that kind of gets us to where we're at today in the world. And then lastly, we must engage the process. Relationship with God, we have to respond, and then we have to engage in the process. In those last five verses, we get this, this kind of step-by-step of knowledge to self-control, self-control to patience, patience to godliness, godliness to affection, affection to love for everyone. And I think that from, from how I view what's going on in the chaos of this world, that we've, we've kind of shallowed out and tainted what the word love means. Love is not acceptance, but a call to authenticity. Uh, I, I love my wife and I love my two boys more than anything in the world. But that love for them, especially for my kids, um, is not a pat on the back, everything you're doing is great, keep doing it. No, it's, it's corrective. It says, nope, I see where this is headed, and we have to change the behavior or the thinking or the pattern to make sure that you're walking in alignment with um, what your mom and I want, want for my kiddos. And I think the same thing is true of, uh, of our Heavenly Father, that his love for us absolutely is incredible and is extended to everyone, but it's a love, again, that creates friction against our default humanity. And then the last, the last point here that I took um, in, in looking at the condition of my heart and tying it to the context of what my backyard looked like was um, whenever I, I finally took on the project of, of working on my backyard, again, I, I tried all the sprays and treatments 
and True Green, which didn't do anything. And uh, I went and, you know, mixed, um, you know, all sorts of apple cider vinegar with dish soap and sprayed it, hoping for something to change, uh, which doesn't work, by the way, or I had the wrong ratios. Um, but you know what worked? Was when I got out there and got on my hands and knees and started grabbing stuff by the root. It's the only thing. Some of them, the roots were shallow. They looked tall, they grew quick, um, but honestly, a little, little pluck and the roots and all were up. But then you get to that stubborn Dallas grass, that crabgrass, and the more you let it go, the deeper the roots go, the tougher they dig in, and the wider it expands. And I sat out there for hours picking out uh, these weeds by the roots. And to be honest with you, it was kind of depressing because I've got a fire pit in my backyard, so I would throw them all in a trash can, and then as they died off, I would just burn them because I wanted them to be gone forever. And I felt like fire was the way to do that. Um, <clears throat> probably not a great, a great idea in retrospect. Um, but what I found was as I pulled things up by the root, it was ugly in my backyard. There were bare spots and dirt, and at least before it was green and I could feel good about it, and now it was just basically a dirt patch. Um, and so I, I knew that it was going to take time, but it was a foundation and an opportunity. The condition of the soil, the condition of my backyard, if we're willing to get on our hands and knees and pull things out by the roots, not just address the growth from them, um, that's where we can see change. And so, again, it wasn't all by hand. A lot of it was, but there were some tools that I also took with me. Um, and so, again, when you're digging out weeds, you know what those are, the little hand rake and the, the shovel. Um, and, and much like that, for the condition of our heart and our life of faith, we have some tools available to us. So in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than the two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joy and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Um, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens another. We need um, the word of God. We need authentic relationships because they help cut out and pierce into the things that we need to change. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. It's one of the things that I love that we do here every week is lift up joys and concerns. Prayer is absolutely powerful, impactful, and vital for us as we walk through our life of faith. And then James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Again, the power of prayer, but... Find those people that you can be authentic with. That you can confess your sins and shortcomings and issues beyond just I'm fine. And really land at a place of vulnerability. And then you can handle those things together in prayer. Take them to the Lord. So the last thing here is after digging out all of the weeds having it be just a, just a gross dirt patch and my dogs, when it rained, just rolled around in it. Um, I finally had to plant new seed and, and the things that I wanted to grow. And so 
This last image, this is about a year and a half after. Yeah, yeah. And so, again, some of that is still weeds, but uh, most of it was St. Augustine, which is nice. Um, and, and so, the, the thing that we, we have to remember, I have to remember, is when we put in the work, the results and the growth we want don't happen overnight. It takes time. It also requires that we maintain the condition of our heart, and that requires constant focus, effort, and work. I couldn't pull all of the weeds, plant a little bit of the grass that I wanted, and then say, you know what, we're good to go. Uh, it required that I went out there every week <clears throat> where I saw new weeds popping up, go get them early before they spread. And, and in doing those things, doing the constant work, maintaining focus, and, uh, and putting in what is required for the condition of our heart, um, that goes back to the verse from Proverbs. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything that you do flows from that. So to, to wrap up, I was looking for, you know, um, the, the verse that put a really nice bow on it and supported all of my, my wild theses that I put out there. Um, and and this, this came to me. Uh, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this is my prayer for, for me. It's my prayer for us as a church, as a body of Christ, for people of faith all over the world as we walk I pray that your love will overflow more and more, that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced by your life in Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Holy and living God, we are, um, we are thankful that, uh, that you are at work in us. God, we are um, stewards of a grace that we don't deserve. And God, we pray that we would put all of our effort and energy and attention and focus into guarding our hearts, God, protecting what you have placed in us. God, that allows us to, to grow the things of you. And God, as we, um, we work through the chaos and the mess of life, we pray that you would go before us to prepare a way to give us courage and to be the people that you've called us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to trade.